Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we speak with Sally Stewart of Link Business Broking. Sally is a specialist health broker and only works in the health space, working with business owners in GP, dental, allied health, aged care and NDIS businesses. In this episode of the Deal Room Podcast, Sally and I drill into how business owners can maximise the value at egg when selling a medical practice. Sally shares stories from her experience in issues buyers and sellers face as they gear up to acquire or exit medical practices, dental practices, or other allied health practices. So without further ado, here we go with our discussion with Sally. Sally, welcome on board to the Deal Room Podcast. It's so good to have you. Hi, Jo. It's great to be here. Great to be seeing you again, feeling energized. <laughs> Let's do it. I always feel energized talking to you, Sally, and I always feel energized talking about business sale and acquisitions. And I'm super excited to talk about your area of specialization, selling medical practices, of course. But before we do that, I'd love you to give a bit of background to yourself because I know you are a very heavily awarded broker. Talk to us a little bit about some of those awards. Uh, <laughs> to tell us, you know, you're very humble, Sally, but I, I, I want you to talk about, you know, so some of your background and some of those awards that have been in the recent Mm, sure. Thanks for the introduction. Yes. So I'm a specialist health broker. I only work in the health space. I only assist business owners in medical, dental, allied health, aged care and NDIS uh, businesses. I can't talk to you about garage doors or engineering businesses. I know absolutely <laughs> nothing about them, but I can talk all day about uh, health practices. So I've been working with doctors since 2004. I did my master's degree in business, HR, and I was working with doctor recruitment for about a decade. So I got to know about practices and how doctors could bill, couldn't bill, where they could and couldn't work and couldn't, couldn't bill through Medicare. So I saw a bit of a, a niche opportunity when I heard three times in two months that doc, uh practice owners they just didn't want another locum they wanted a locum with a view to that person taking over their patient base so that they could retire and know that their patients were in a safe pair of hands so I realized that nobody was filling this uh, gap and I moved into fill that gap strategically and uh, did all my registrations and all my education and training that I had to do to do that legally it is a state-based so of course I had to do multiple states to do what I wanted to do and that was to be able to service this industry nationally so apart from Tasmania and Victoria where we've got link business brokers anyway um, I'm able to work pretty much most of the rest of the country Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. And tell us about some of those awards. What what what's in the last couple of years? What what's in your bundle of awards? So I've got look at them all. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so I've got uh, New South Wales Specialist Broker of the Year a couple of times now. Um, I'm often in the top ten with my company. I'm 
I've yes, I've received a lot of awards with the Australian Institute of Business Brokers, which makes me very proud because I do work very hard for my vendors. So it's not about the awards for me. It's about allowing people and facilitating people to achieve their goals. So if, if they can do that, then I feel like it's a job well done uh, on my behalf and they get to either um, enjoy more time with their family or, or enjoy their retirement or, or do whatever it is that they're electing to do post being a business owner. And the last few years have been extremely difficult for this sector and I'm seeing a lot of um, exhausted and burnt out uh, business owners that are either getting physically broken or psychologically distressed at the amount of work and the additional things that they've had to do to cope with keeping those doors open um, in the pandemic and, and being the front line for patients coming into their practice being very unwell. So it's been a very, very challenging time. Plus, with the borders being closed, we haven't been able to get an influx of international doctors who would usually come into the country and support our homegrown doctors. So. What we're seeing now is probably an all-time low in international doctors being able to get into the country. So back in, in 2004, um, when I first started working with doctors uh, from overseas, at that stage I was bringing in, on, on one day I remember 14 doctors, one four doctors starting from the UK that I'd brought in wow. yeah, into the system and they all started on the one day and I did all their immigration registration, got all their jobs and everything all sorted. But you know, we can't do, well, we haven't been able to do that. So there's so many doctors that aren't coming in to support the Australian doctors. And also with the GP sector, it's uh, it's perceived differently to being a hospital specialist. So people don't come into this sector. It's, um, it's, an, it's a lifestyle choice for a lot of people. They go in, yeah. they work in surgery, they'll be standing on their feet 14 hours a day being kept upright with sugar lollies in their pockets. And, uh, again, with the institutionalisation of some of these industries within the medical sector, it's not conducive to maintaining a family. It's not conducive to maintaining good health. So people elect to go into GP because it's a work-life balance opportunity for them. Uh, and they can also grow their own business, they can learn skills other than medicine and they can certainly get a lot better work-life balance than they could if they stayed in the hospital and worked, you know, the hours that they have to with the budget cuts and the requirements of the public health system. I, and one of the things that I um, find interesting about this industry is that you're dealing you're dealing with really smart people Um really smart people who've had a long, long period of education um, and education from a technical perspective, technical skills perspective. But I often see a lot of overwhelm when it comes to the business issues because they're smart people who are taught to look for risk but who feel overwhelmed by the risk that they don't understand in relation to owning and operating. So, you know, that can be from a buy side perspective, our, our our new buyers into medical and dental and health practices have this concern about what they don't know. When they're building a practice, there's this concern about what they don't know. And certainly at Exit, I find time and time and time again, um, I deal with um, medical, dental, health practice owners who haven't haven't understood what they need to build value in something that has strong value at exit. Is that, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about that, Sally. Do you, do you feel that that is an ongoing 
sort of issue in, um, in business owners that come to you? So I have a look at the, the clinical training that they do. My um, husband's son is a doctor, PGY3, so he's popped out three years ago. Um, and then what they would do generally is four years of training to get their specialisation and then doctors that decide that they want to be a specialist GP, so they're um, 26 and so maybe 30 years old, um, they've not done one business unit at university and they haven't done any training over the last four years, so they've had 10 years of education and not one business unit. They pop out and they go, right, I want to buy a business. So for them it's it's something that they want and need to do but they have no knowledge of. So it, as you say, it can be very overwhelming. Um, I, I do add, I do try and add a lot of value to potential business owners with education. I'm also involved, as you know, with the Practice Success Collective, which is a group of like-minded um, practitioners all coming together to add value and, and educate the people in the health sector about doing better as business owners in medical, dental and veterinary clinics. So there's a lot of education and it's also about like, know and trust. People do business with people that they like and they know and they trust. So I've been dealing with some of the doctors for 10 plus years and every every week I'm on LinkedIn twice a week. I'm doing monthly newsletters. So I'm constantly trying to remain top of mind so that they get to know me. What I do adds value to them so they like me for that and having constancy builds trust as well. So it's an it's a long game. I'm playing a long game and I've been playing a long game for a long time now <laughs> and I feel that it's starting to pay off because people with bigger businesses now are trusting me. So I had a conversation with a practitioner yesterday. Sally, can you help me sell my business? I want to get $5 million for it. So it takes a while for people to like, know and trust you enough to be able to bring those size businesses to you as opposed to a solo doctor or a solo dentist clinic, which is difficult to sell as well because the goodwill is often associated with the clinician and not the practice. Yeah. Oh, look, we're very similar there, Sally. I think we both believe in educating the market, providing education and and the belief that where you provide value ultimately um, value returns. And and uh, I think that that's, that's absolutely true of life. And I just think there's so much that we can all add with our experience um, by providing it freely and openly. Um, and, you, you know, that's something that I've always believed in. I absolutely know that you're, a, you're an absolute, um, you know, testament to that with all of the information um, and knowledge that you're already always providing um, to your databases. So, so if we look at if we come back then to that question of um, maximizing value at exit, what are the, some of the things that you have seen the most successful exits? Um, you, you know, encapsulate what is it about their practice or their practices that they've managed to do that you feel drives value? So, number one. Uh, room utilisation. Get those bums in seats and get those rooms filled up. And don't think nine to five. Think 8.30 till six. Think seven till nine. Think six till ten. So there's seven days in the week. There's 24 hours in the day. And just because uh, the room is there doesn't mean that it stops being available when the clinic closes. 
So something else to think about is having, look, I always try and encourage people to think outside the box. So get the hell away from bulk billing. Think, what else can I do? Can I do procedural stuff? Can I do vasectomies and circumcisions? No, I'm not interested in that. Okay, what else can I do? Can I go into the aged care residential care facilities and bill from my clinic? So yesterday I was talking about a clinic up on the Gold Coast. It's only got two consulting rooms. How can you maximise the value out of that? Have people working outside the clinic and billing from the clinic. So you can have another three doctors that are going to all the residential aged care facilities around there. They're still putting the billings through that practice, but they don't physically have to be there. And what we've learned from the pandemic is that you can have doctors sitting at home. If they don't want to come in and face-to-face with patients, they don't have to anymore because you've got telemedicine. They can sit wherever. Like I could be sitting here in my office doing a consult if I was a doctor. You don't have to go into the clinic. But the number one is room utilisation, thinking how else can you add money? Is it adding pathology? Is it adding allied health? Is it hot desking? So I saw a clinic out in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, he had seven doctors working there and it was a five five consulting room practice, but he had hot desking. Um, people don't own a consulting room. They work in it. It's a bit like uh, having a number or a name on the door and whichever room you have your name on that's where you're working for the day a little bit of extra cleaning with the pandemic but certainly you can have those rooms utilized seven days a week and from seven in the morning till seven or ten at night so thinking of extended hours thinking of um, other opportunities to build from the room without actually being in the room so room utilization is my number one uh second one is having a stable workforce um, and keeping your people happy you know, it's not rocket yeah. science. I say to people at the end of the day, what does your doctor want? Doesn't want to have printer problems. Doesn't want to have issues with technology if they can be avoided. Doesn't want to not have coffee in the coffee in the tea room. So, you know, if you can just maintain the consumables, make sure everything works. And look, I personally live by the KISS principle. Keep it simple. Keep what your doctor has to do, simple, as much as you can. Remove as much as you can so that all they are doing is their clinical work and recording their notes. They shouldn't have to be doing anything else. Um, and probably the third thing I would say is for them to remove themselves. So try and sack yourself before someone else does because it's really hard to sell a practice that's heavily reliant on the principal practitioner. Absolutely. If you can push that work onto someone else, have your practice management uh, manager do stuff, have, have a business development, outsource your marketing, get a bookkeeper to do your accounts, have an accounts receivable and payable person. Don't be doing all this stuff yourself. You just want to be doing the clinical work. Nothing else you should have to do because um, you can always get in, well, <laughs> tricky, but you can always try and get in another doctor, but having to replace all those other jobs that you might be doing in the practice that's really hard. So start upskilling, trust your staff, know what you're teaching them though. Know, you have to know what everybody knows because I've seen so many doctors that have just absolutely trusted their practice manager and that practice manager has defrauded them. So hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. So you must mm. know what your practice manager knows in order to be able to oversight if and when required what's going on. But don't be doing it. Just know what they're doing. Yeah, yep, yep. Keep, 
I, I guess what do they say? Delegate, don't abdicate. Keep um, <laughs> keep on top with a wary eye. And, and maybe it's worthwhile then rounding back to what you're seeing in the market right now. We talked about seeing a lot of um, burnout, broken, you know, our broken owners who are just, you know, just had a, a rough couple of years at the front line. How is this impacting um, your perception of business sale at the moment? So I'm really busy. So I've got about 20 listings at the moment. I've got 10 of them going to settlement. So I should have 10 settlements by the end of this financial year. So we've got about six and a half weeks to go to get 10 businesses settled. I've listed another one yesterday. I got a phone call from another doctor this morning. I've got two, two or three appraisals to do this week. So I've got so many people coming to market, but equally I've got so many buyers. I've got a massive appetite from the um, clinical community wanting to buy businesses because what we've seen in the pandemic is these businesses are recession proof and they're pandemic proof. So because they've been able to pivot so um, effortlessly, that's always a trick for me, that word, and <laughs> they've come out on top with telemedicine and the ones that have got another another thing to think about is having strong practice management and support staff. So those clinics that have had really switched on practice managers and have been able to pivot into solid telehealth offerings, they're the clinics that we've seen that have thrived with the pandemic. Some of them have gone downhill mm. and others have just gone from strength to strength. So people, not just doctors, it's we've got entrepreneurs buying them, we've got private equity gr groups investing in health, we've got all sorts of people wanting to buy clinics now. And you don't have to be a doctor to buy a doctor clinic. So there's a whole lot of interest from people who've never previously been interested in buying clinics before because they've realised that health has ridden through this pandemic. When I say unscathed, they're not because, like we're talking about broken people here, but they've come through whereas others haven't. So if you look at what's happened to the hospitality industry, you know, they're more broken the most. But... The health yeah. sector has had to continue. I mean, the dental sector had a, a pretty bumpy road as well. They were only able to do emergency work. But they've again bounced back. Um, but, no, there's a lot of interest in buying in the health sector. The other thing that is of interest as well with the sea change and the tree change, people are getting out of Sydney and Melbourne. They, they realise that they don't have to work in the CBD and that they can work in a in a remote location, and and that might be southeast Queensland. So we're seeing a whole lot of people move away from Sydney. And I, I jokingly said to someone, the Sydney CBD is going to become a DPA location soon, um, which means that you know people <laughs> from overseas are going to be able to work there because there's not enough practitioners there compared to the population. <laughs> so everyone's leaving Sydney and Melbourne in droves, and they're moving into these communities. So I've I've said to I said to someone yesterday, oh, selling a, a practice in Ipswich might be difficult. And I went, you know what? On the flip side, there's a surge of people moving up to southeast Queensland and looking for tree changes. So potentially there'll be someone out there. And I guess another great thing that's happened this year is the view of the DPA in the regional locations. So we've got a whole lot of regional areas and communities that had previously had their DWS, which is their district of workforce shortage status, taken off them. And in a lot of these smaller communities, it's been given back, which is fantastic because it means that communities that might have been underserviced now have the opportunity 
for overseas trained doctors to move into that area and to be able to bulk bill patients through Medicare. Now, that can be the, the difference between a community literally folding and closing when the doctor moves away. Sometimes the lifeblood goes out of the community and everyone else follows. So it's really heartening to see that the government has sensibly reinstated these DPA um, statuses to these regional communities. Brilliant. And, and one of the things as you're talking um, that occurred to me that is so important for us to talk about in relation to thinking about exit um, and related also to just the fact that coming up to exit at the moment, we have a lot of sellers in this space, in this industry, many industries, certainly this industry, who um, are worn out, exhausted. Sometimes that also means they have not paid the attention to keeping their financials clean, their business, you know, organised. And so when they come to sale, they're just not properly ready for sale. And, you know, there's nothing that annoys a buyer more than coming in and, you know, thinking you've got a deal but then finding a seller who's on a go-so either because they can't find the information that's required for due diligence or because they're a little bit you know, sometimes we've got that emotion at sale where suddenly, you know, it's almost like there's a bit of procrastination in completing a deal or exchanging on a deal because of this emotion related to the sale. But this will all harm you as a seller because quite often those initial buyers are the best buyers. Do you have anything, you know, to add on, on that, Sally? Is that your experience? Oh, absolutely it is, 100%. So, Look, I, I need to be reined in sometimes because I'm like, let's go, let's go to market, let's sell, let's sell. And then <laughs> I have to rein myself in, Joe, because I'm the first, and I've done it this morning, I've put someone's advertising up and we haven't got all the documentation ready. So I'm as much to blame as they are, but I just get so excited. <laughs> Well, you need us in the background checking to make sure all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed before it's on the. And I can understand, like, the benefit of getting to Marco. Of course, it takes time, you know, for us to find a buyer. Um, it's just that, you know, I, I just really feel in many instances that sellers need the, need the wind up them early on. 100%. To understand that they're going to lose momentum if they're not both, if they're not ready physically for their, their financials, their accounts, their business as a whole, because as they lift the hood for buyers to come in and have a look, but not just that, also emotionally. And that's I think that's critical. So at 10.19 today, I had a, a doctor call me and go, Sally, I'm ready. So <laughs> I visited him, I swear to God, two years ago, right? And I said, right, let's get your financials and um, let's do the appraisal. Let's bring your business to market. And I've been to his clinic three or four times, right? It's sellable. It's in a good location. It's attractive. And I've said, right, what's all this? So you look at their financials and they might have expensive laser equipment. So you don't need that for a GP clinic. That's 130000 What's that sitting there for? Let's get rid of that. What about this Porsche? Are we having a company sale? Are we having a business sale? Right, so let's get this cleaned up. Why is that sitting on your books? So it does. You're right. We do need to have that preliminary runway experience where we look at it and go, okay, we're not quite ready to go to market. Let's 
do this. And I said to someone, you've got six weeks before the end of financial year to separate up, separate all these assets. So someone was telling me that they had four businesses, three of them on the Central Coast and one down in Victoria. I'm like, you want me to try and find a buyer for four businesses, three of them on the Central Coast and one in Victoria? Like, let's just split them up <laughs> and then potentially we can sell the group of three and the group of one. But people just grow their business and, and it becomes this octopus with all these arms on it and it's not until yeah. someone puts a microscope on it and go, hmm, why have you done it like that? And I spoke to an yeah, accountant yeah. yesterday and he said, Sally, it wouldn't have happened if it was under my watch. What The way she's done this, I don't know why it's been done like that. So, Yes, you really need to have a look at your business with my eyes. Think, I've got to put on Sally's eyes. What would Sally say? Sally would say, get your bass paid for the last three quarters. You know, I looked at someone's paperwork yesterday and said, where are we up to? He goes, oh, nine months behind. Like, okay, <laughs> let's maybe get that done as a priority. So make sure everything's up to date because when – buyers look at your business and they say to me, Sally, can you get me the documents? I'm like, oh, I haven't got them yet. That's the first red flag, right? Yeah. Right? Sally, where's the depreciation schedule? Oh, he hasn't lodged his last year's returns yet. That's your second red flag. Sally, can you yeah. show me the year to date? Oh, he hasn't lodged his three basses. Boom, you're gone. You've got no chance of selling that business yeah. because he's not prepared. Yeah. So my advice is vendors that are thinking about coming to market, be ready or be ready to get ready. But you can't sell a business where there's so many red flags that a buyer can't understand it. So another thing, if you've got an accountant, <laughs> let's go that before that, get an accountant, right? Don't be doing yeah. your BAS and your tax returns yourself. You can do it, yeah, but when it comes to handing that application upstairs to finance, it's not going to get approved with your own Excel spreadsheet and Word documents. Get it done through a specialist accountant in the format that the credit department will approve. So it sounds like little things you think, oh, I can save money if I do it myself. No, just outsource it. It's a tax deduction. Do it properly. Get it in the regular format. So another business that I'm selling at the moment, business and building here in Sydney, I was dealing with an elderly accountant and he had set up this practice in no way I've seen ever before and I've been doing this for eight years and it took me about eight months of going no I need more information I can't even appraise your practice because I don't know what your accountant's done and then the accountant died I think or retired so then I had to say to his colleague please can you interpret these three or four years of financial statements because I can't work out how much the practice is making in profit. And if I can't do that, then we can't put a sales price on it. If we can't put a sales price on it, we can't go to market. So it's really important that I can understand it. If I can't understand it, I'm not that clever, right? But I've been doing this for a while and I know what I'm looking That's not true. I know so what I'm I can testify to that. <laughs> I mean you have been doing it for a while. I mean you are a band, you are very clever. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um but the doctors are going to have their accountants look at it. And if, if I can't understand it, then I can't explain it to their accountants. So if it's so convoluted and you've got massive amounts of tax minimization, 
aka wealth creation going on and you've got uh, a proprietary limited, you've got family trust, you've got a second family trust, money goes from here to there to there. If it's super complex and convoluted, then maybe it's not the right structure for the sale of the business. Look, absolutely true, Sally. I just, you know, there's so many considerations in um, getting a business ready for sale and um, just so many that our vendors don't think about. And, you know, a lot of them just could be solved by thinking about this just a little bit earlier in advance, taking the right advice along the way. Mm-mm. So I have, and don't leave it too late, I guess is the other one. I have a vendor yeah. at the moment. She's had a very successful practice. Unfortunately, she had a high blood pressure issue which caused her to have vision impairment. She couldn't read to put in her patient notes in the patient management software. She couldn't practice medicine. So her clinic's been empty since December and that's five months of patients walking away and finding another clinician. So she's yeah. she's come to me via her son-in-law and said, "Can you sell me? Can you sell my um, clinic?" And I'm like, "Well, what's left?" So had she yeah. potentially thought when she maybe when you turn seventy, guys, if you're seventy, start thinking about it. <laughs> Don't keep going. <laughs> Oh, Sally, that's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. Well, look, um, we have covered some topics today. Um, I've loved having you on, as always, Sally, on the podcast. If our listeners want to find out more about how you can assist them, prepare for the exit of their medical practice, or indeed if they're thinking about buying a medical practice, how or dental or allied health, how do they go about contacting you? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. Sally Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, um, 0437082045 or sally.stewart at linkbusiness.com.au. So you can um, contact me, text me, Facebook message me, LinkedIn message me, always lead to Rome. So you'll be able to find me. <laughs> Sally, that's absolutely fabulous. And look, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Wonderful. Love chatting to you. Cheerio. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode of The Deal Room Podcast with a multi-award winning broker, Sally Stewart of Link Business Broking, where we talked obviously about selling and buying medical practices. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. There you'll also be able to book in with our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to talk about how we can assist from a legal perspective in buying or selling a business. Well, that's it in buying or selling a medical practice, dental practice or allied health practice. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, don't forget to subscribe to the Deal Room podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favorite podcast player to get notifications straight through to your phone whenever a new episode is out. We also love hearing feedback, so please leave us a review and rating if you're one of our subscribers or even if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Thank you.
Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.